I don't think you'll see players if he wins the U.S. Open or, or wins the PGA next month talk about you know how great it is to see Tiger win again. Um, I think this was sort of his, his his true comeback, and everyone wanted to see this moment. But I, I think from now on, it's it's game on. Welcome to the Sports Business Radio podcast. I'm your host Brian Berger. You can find the Sports Business Radio podcast 15 years over 600 episodes featuring conversations with the biggest names in sports like David Stern, Pete Carroll, Chris Abbott, Jeannie Buss, Michael Vick, Andre Iguodala, Mark Cuban, Tom Rinaldi, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, Lindsey Vaughn, Eric Spolster, Aaron Rodgers, and Steve Nash on iTunes or at sportsbusinessradio.com. Subscribe, rate, and review the Sports Business Radio podcast on iTunes, and everyone who posts a review on iTunes will be eligible to be selected to join us in our studio audience at one of our Sports Business Radio roadshows presented by Boingo. And we're also on Spotify now, so you can find us there. Follow us in between podcasts on Twitter at SB Radio. We've been named a top 50 followed by Forbes.com for three consecutive years, and on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. Well, thanks for joining us on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. Daniel Rappaport, golf writer at Sports Illustrated, who is in Augusta for Tiger Woods' big win, his fifth green jacket, his 15th major. He's going to join us on this week's edition of Sports Business Radio. But before we get to that conversation, I'm joined in studio by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, we were up early watching Tiger. There's no athlete on this planet that I can think of that would get me up that early on the West Coast and that would captivate my attention for five hours the way Tiger Woods did. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had the uh, computer up. I had the DirecTV four screens going. I was, like, watching every <laughs> angle I could watch to keep up with him. And, uh, yeah, I'm, not, I'm talking about Daniel on the, being there. I'm so jealous of him. I mean, what, you'll love this interview because he describes, you know, in detail where he was and what was going on and stuff. It's very fascinating. And what a cool event to be a part of. So some huge numbers around this. I mean, everyone knows by now that Tiger moves the needle for golf more than any other golfer. But really, he moves the needle more than any other athlete does for their sport. CBS ratings, the best in 34 years (laughs) for the Masters. And they would have probably been better, Griggs, but because of weather... They had early start time, so 9.20 a.m. was tea time for Tiger and his group Eastern time on Sunday. Typically, they would start later, and then the re-airing of Tiger winning the Masters immediately following the live version also scored well with ratings, but you know, essentially two-thirds of households in America on Master Sunday was tuned in to CBS to watch Tiger Woods win his fifth green jacket and 15th major. Such a compelling story. And the thing is, we've said this for years on this show, is your mom, your grandma, your grandpa, everyone knows Tiger Woods. He transcends sports. And this was his comeback moment. And everyone wondered if he'd get to the top of the hill. And then, you know, I got to tell you, I I started crying when his son and his daughter were there. I was so hoping, and I even tweeted this on Saturday, I said, I really hope his kids are there because they're 11 and 10 years old now, so they're old enough to understand what's happening. Whereas the last time Tiger won a major, they were so little, they didn't know what was going on. Now they can appreciate it, and it's really the first time that they've seen golf bring joy to their father after years of back surgeries and struggling to you know, move and 
all the surgeries he's had and, and things like that. Now they finally got to share in a moment that hadn't taken place for him in many years. And it was just so cool. And then CBS did a great job of packaging those images with, you know, here's Tiger in 1997 embracing his own father, who's now dead, after he won his first Masters. And when they juxtaposed the Tiger and his dad with now Tiger and his son, I mean, you're not human if you're not crying at that point. Yeah, I think that's what Jim Nance actually said that. He's like, you're not human if you don't feel that. Right. Yeah, that embrace when he came off and hugged his kid for just like what felt like five minutes was just like, oh, right in the heart. It's like, ah, that's so cool because I have a son too and you have a daughter. So you understand that, that bond that is, you know, you can't, you can't describe it. So that was pretty cool. Well, and I think this is what's different with Tiger now is, for so many years, he wouldn't let us behind the curtain. He kept everyone at an arm's length. He was very short with his answers. You know, he just seemed like everything was programmed. He was a robot. Now people see him as human tiger, as father tiger, as son tiger, as comeback tiger. And he's so much more relatable. So that's why I think out of all his victories, this one coming back from what he came back from, and then also the fact that he's a changed human being, this was his best victory of all. Yeah, he's humanized. I mean, he, he went through heartbreak. He went through, you know, issues with police and drugs and, you know, ex-wives and all this stuff. And that's what, you know, normal, quote, humans go through. So I think it kind of helps us relate like, oh, he's human. And I think it woke him up too, saying, you know, hey, I've come through a lot here and I need to appreciate where I've come through from life. And, you know, and be kind to the patrons, be kind to the media. I mean, just his interviews are softer. He's smiling. He he laughs about stuff. It's great. Let's look at some numbers around the Masters. So Tiger wins $2 million for winning the Masters. Trump changed to him. Yeah. (laughs) So that's not a big deal. But CBS, like we just told you, best ratings for the Masters in 34 years. This is huge for the PGA Tour Mm -hmm. and for anyone around golf. Um, Tiger really is the one who got people into golf years ago. And if he's going to have a renaissance, like it looks like he's going to have, that's going to generate more interest in golf. Some other numbers. This is according to Apex MG Analytics. Nike received $22.5 million worth of exposure via Tiger. And by the way, Brooks Kapka, others who were in the mix also were Nike players. So Nike got tons of exposure. I still don't understand, I tweeted this out, why everyone was wearing lilac on Saturday. And then why in the world did Nike Golf take down their Twitter account that had 600,000 followers? Are you kidding me? You have 600,000 followers. Why would you take that down and just run everything through normal Nike? Now, they do have their Nike Golf account on Instagram. So if you're going to have your Instagram account, why would you take down your Twitter account? It doesn't make any sense. Monster received almost a million dollars worth of exposure and got one of the best buys in golf years ago when Buick left Tiger's bag. Monster Energy stepped in and took his bag. That looks like a great buy now. And then Bridgestone got $134,000 worth of exposure. And, you know, we saw the video of their CEO jumping up and down in a video that went viral celebrating after Tiger won. Here are the sponsors that stood by Tiger after his controversy. Nike and Upper Deck. Here are the sponsors that dropped him. Accenture, Gatorade, AT&T, Gillette, and Tag Heuer. The sponsors that stepped in. Monster, 
Hero Motor Corp, TaylorMade, Upper Deck, Bridgestone, Nike was already there, and Rolex. The thing that was interesting to me, Griggs, is Nike, within 30 minutes of Tiger winning, had a new spot ready to congratulate him and put it out online. It's at 24 million views and counting. Nike and their ad agency, Wyden and Kennedy, do it better than anyone else. There is no company out there that is ready to capture the moment, respond to the moment after a team wins a championship or in a case like this, Tiger or Serena hit a milestone. Nike does it better than anyone. And, you know, again, 24 million views. Imagine how much money they would have had to pay if they ran a spot, how many times they would have to run that spot to get to 24 million views. So it's a perfect example of a company taking advantage of the moment and activating around their athlete. I was wondering, where is Monster? Where is Bridgestone? Where is Upper Deck? TaylorMade had something that came out a few hours later, so they weren't as early as Nike, but at least they were in the same day. You're paying all of this money to your athletes, whether it's Nike, Serena, or Tiger, Serena, whoever it is. Why don't you activate around the moment when you have it? And it could even just be congratulations on social media with some pictures. It doesn't have to be a full-blown spot like Nike did. But some of these companies who invest all this money, they're asleep at the wheel. They need to go observe the Nikes of the world and learn how to do it the right way. Especially some of the new ones like Monster, who's new on, you know, and some of these newer sponsors that are new with Tiger. So, I mean, everybody knows Nike and Tiger together. But right. Not everybody knows Monster's on there. And, right. And um, they do a good job. Monster's logo is pretty iconic. You see it on his bag. I noticed that the whole tournament, which is good. But yeah, I mean, what a Sunday to capture that. And Nike, of course, does. I mean, Nike and Tiger are golf and they captured it beautifully. But uh, I agree with you. It's like, what a missed point. There, where they should have had something, like you said, something as simple as a, you know, a social blast with pictures and congrats. And I can guarantee you this. Two things are going to happen now. One is everyone's, everyone who left Tiger, there's going to be the second guessing, right? And that's the thing that's interesting, Griggs, is this may be a case study for the future. Like if it's a B list athlete and they have controversy, you might say, well, all right, I'm parting ways with them. But if it's someone like Tiger or, you know, a superstar, I think more companies now are going to go, okay, look, Nike hung in there with him. Nike's valuation of their stock from the first day of the Masters, Thursday, until Monday when the market opened, it increased $4 billion. <laughs> Not million, $4 billion. Now, you can't say that's all directly correlated to Tiger winning, but I would think there's a certain amount of it. Let's say that... Yeah. I don't know. 500 million of the 4 billion can be attributed to Tiger's win. Was it worth keeping Tiger <laughs> and enduring yeah. the raised eyebrows or second guesses of people saying, why are you sticking with him during his controversy? Of course it was. So I think the lesson for companies going forward is going to be, you know what? Let's go to the Tiger example. Nike stuck with Tiger and it ended up working out well for them. Should we be sticking with our athlete if they have controversy? And, you know, that's going to be an interesting case study. The other thing is Mark Steinberg, who was Tiger's agent, who had to knock on a lot of doors and be proactive for the first time after Tiger endured all of his trials and tribulations off the course. And then after it looked like he wasn't going to play again after the back surgeries, now 
the price just went up to do business. Like he is in the driver's seat again on if a company comes to him and says, we want to work with Tiger, they are going to be able to charge a premium. Two more headlines that I want to get to this week. Number one, Russell Wilson, Seattle Seahawks quarterback, is now the highest paid player in the NFL. He signs a four-year, $140 million deal with the Seahawks, $107 million guaranteed. That's an all-time record. He has a no-trade clause in his contract, and he's now under contract for the next five years, $157 million, staying in Seattle. Griggs, anytime you become the highest paid in your sport, pretty big deal. And then I love that Russell Wilson, like, announces this while he's in bed (laughs) under the covers with his wife, Ciara. He has this Barry White voice. This is Russell. We got it done. We got a deal. We got a deal. Like, I mean, it's just funny because, like, you've seen press conferences. We've seen announcements in the Players' Tribune. I don't know that I've ever seen anyone announce a big deal under the sheets with their wife in their bed. That was a new Uh, one. It was new, and it was funny. I saw it, too, when it came out. I was just cracking up. I'm like, all right, this is a new press conference. I like this. My... My takeaway was he's not sweating this thing. Like, they got no. this done. He gave him a midnight deadline. They got it done right before midnight. He's in bed with his wife. Like, he's not sweating this thing. He's like, all right, agent, you go hammer out the <laughs> yeah. details. I'm going to be in bed with Ciara. The benefit of having an agent, right? <laughs> yeah, the benefit of being married to Ciara. Yeah, and that too. <laughs> All right, the other headline, uh, Golden State Warriors center Boogie Cousins, DeMarcus Cousins, looks like he's lost for the rest of the season with a quad tear. Not good news for the Warriors. They blew a 31-point lead in Game 2 against the Clippers' largest comeback ever in an NBA playoff game, 31 points. Clippers have heart. And, you know, I'm watching these teams like the Brooklyn Nets and some of these teams that were younger and kind of snuck into the playoffs. These big teams, you know, the Golden State to the world, the Celtics, the Sixers, no one's going to have an easy road in these playoffs, Greg. Yeah, and it's uh, I feel bad for Boogie. I mean, his first playoff game was game one. wasn't the best game for him, and then injured in the first first half of the second game. But, uh, you know, and that's playoffs. I mean, you get to, you've played 82 games, you get to the playoff, that grind moves up, and this is where you see some injuries start happening because those bodies are just like, they are pushing so hard. And uh, the non-contact injury, like they were talking about with Boogie, those are always the bad ones. Well, and this is terrible timing for him because he's a free agent again right. at the end yep. of the year. So now you've said he had an Achilles, which is terrible. Yep. Quad tear. I don't know that. I mean, you're not giving this guy a max contract. Nope. You're probably trying to get him on a one or two year deal. And you're saying, all right, let's see if his body holds up. But his market value a few years ago, it's like, oh, yeah, he's going to get the super max. He'll get two hundred million dollars. He's not going to get that now. And it's unfortunate for him. All right, coming up next, we're going to dig into Tiger's historic win at Augusta with Daniel Rappaport, the golf writer for Sports Illustrated. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. When it comes to stadiums and arenas, every sports pro knows wireless wins. And when it comes to the best wireless technology for your venue, look no further than Boingo Wireless. Boingo is the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S., providing state-of-the-art Wi-Fi and cellular services that power amazing fan experiences. And Boingo makes keeping your stadium connected easy today and in the future. Thinking about 5G? Boingo's expert team helps you carry the ball through a complex technology landscape to deliver wireless solutions that will delight fans and deepen loyalty season after season. Here's another kicker. 
Boingo is simply the best connected experience for your business. With Boingo, stadiums and arenas enjoy unique operating efficiencies, revenue opportunities, and digital insights into their fan base. That's a win-win. Boingo works with major league sports venues like Soldier Field, Vivint Smart Home Arena, State Farm Arena, and university stadiums like University of Louisville and K-State. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. We're excited to showcase how technology is changing the business of sports. If you would like more information on Boingo Wireless, visit boingo.com or email sports at boingo.com. Joining us now on the Blinder guest line is Daniel Rappaport, golf writer for Sports Illustrated. Blinder is the way high-performance teams connect their talent with the media and fans. It lets communications managers provide unprecedented access to their athletes, entertainers, and executives while respecting everyone's privacy and time. Blinder makes phone calls magic. Request a demo today at blinderhq.com backslash sbradio. My guest is Daniel Rappaport. He is the golf writer for Sports Illustrated. You can follow him on Twitter at Daniel underscore Rappaport. Daniel, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. What a last four days in Augusta for you. Yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. Uh, I'm back in New York today, and uh, it's, it's sort of a letdown, to be honest with you. <laughs> it was, there was so much adrenaline and so much excitement that uh, you know being back in the SI offices is a uh, not exactly the excitement of, of Sunday at Augusta National, I'll tell you that much. Let's start with, for the people that have never been to Augusta National and just seen it on TV, you were there. Was that your first time there? And if so, like, did it live up to what you had seen on TV? Yeah, so that was uh, my first Masters. And the answer is uh, yes. It's funny because, you know, you've watched so many highlights um, of Masters throughout the years, and you've seen the golf course so many times. And then you see it in person, and in one respect, it's like, wow, this is incredible to see it in person, and it's so peaceful, and the colors are you know, so much more vibrant than they look on, on TV. But then on the other hand, it's like, yeah, this is sort of what I expected it to look like um, because you've seen it so many times. But, you know, it really is like going back in time, you know, between the, the no phones rule, um, between the, the hand-operated scoreboards, um, you know, at every other PGA Tour event, they've got the digital ones with pictures and live leaderboards and um, you know, it really does feel like you're going back in time, which is which is cool. It's a really cool viewing experience, but it actually makes covering the tournament pretty difficult from the golf course because you just don't really know what's going on. Yeah, I, I was going to say the whole no phones thing. I mean, are they like patting you down as you come in? How do they ensure that there's no phones or is it just a, a trust based thing? Yeah, it's a trust based thing. I mean, if there's one place, though, that I wouldn't want to violate a rule. Uh, it would be Augusta National. So I don't think that they are uh, – media are allowed to use their phone in the media center. Um, so every, all the other media members I saw when they go out to the course, they just leave them on their desk. I would imagine that most of the, the patrons, not the fans, the patrons, to the golf course. Because if you get caught with one, you will be thrown out immediately. And I didn't see one cell phone uh, the entire week from anybody on the golf course. So it wasn't like they were speaking them. There were just like literally none. And I think people kind of embrace it, too. It's like, I'm going to the Masters. I'm not using my phone today. And you know, kind of lean into it as a going back in time, a, you know, sort of a detachment from these devices that are everywhere with us 24-7. So I think people kind of embraced it. But like you said, it does make the scoreboard watching interesting because this is the first time Tiger's ever come from behind to win a major. And, you know, obviously he takes the lead on the back nine. Are people just kind of scoreboard watching and seeing, you know, hey, is Tiger going to be at the top? Because you don't have your phone. You can't look at things in real time. 
Yeah, so they don't really move, like, the name to the top or to the bottom. They just change the number. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I remember being on 18. Uh, I watched most of the back nine from the media center just because it's, it's, like I said, it's impossible to know what's going on, to get any sort of perspective when you're on the golf course. And it's made even more difficult by media members. Nobody gets inside the ropes passes at the Masters. At every other PGA Tour event and every other major, I would have, like, an inside the ropes pass so I could see you know, exactly what's going on, get a front row seat. At the Masters, you're just in there with the, with the crowd, so it's really, really difficult to see. Um, but I did go out there for the 18th hole, and I remember seeing everyone, um, the reaction when the scoreboard operator put 14 up on Tiger's 17th hole, which, which means he made par on 17 um, and had a two-shot lead as opposed to a one-shot lead coming to 18. And it was you know, like a birdie. You know, It was like someone made a birdie. They went crazy um, because that was genuinely the first time everyone found out. So, yeah, there is a ton of scoreboard watching. Um, and it must be fun to be one of those operators, right? You put up a number and everyone cheers. It's almost like you're a, you're a part of the tournament. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, one of the things, so many things struck me with, you know, the end of the tournament. The most poignant moment to me was the whole embrace with his son and his daughter and his mom, Tiger. It, Explained as you were there what that was like being there because it looked like one thing on TV, but uh, boy, it seemed like such an emotional moment. It was an emotional moment, and I couldn't really see it to be honest with you. There were so many people around, but I did get a good look at it um, after the round. You know, I watched sort of the last hour of the broadcast yesterday after I got home because I, I didn't have enough apparently being there for as long as I was, but. I think it's one of the reasons why Tiger is, is more popular now than he's ever been before. Right? He's more of a three-dimensional um, human being than he was in his prime when you know, his singular focus was beating the crap out of everybody else. You know, he's a father now, which is, is so deeply relatable to so many people. Um, you know, they, uh, you, you can't play golf like Tiger. You can't hit four irons off downhill lies like Tiger. But you know that feeling of, of hugging your child you know, after an accomplishment and and just the you know the joy and the connection that a, that a father and a son and a and a mother and a son too you know Tiger's mother like you said um, have so the familial aspect I think has made Tiger much more relatable um, and and then also the symmetry of you know he walks off in 1997 gives his father a hug and sort of sways from side to side and then you know 22 years later his father's passed but there's the next generation of Wood so it was it was really a, a sentimental moment to go along with uh, a remarkable on course achievement so there's there's both the on course comeback and then and then the sort of Tiger 2.0 in terms of, of personality and him being a, a round figure that people can identify with. The other thing that really was striking to me, you know, sports, these guys are fierce competitors. And the number of prominent golfers who waited around till the end to congratulate Tiger as he was coming off of 18, that was another striking thing. And seeing, you know, Ricky Fowler hugging Tiger's mom and Justin Thomas was there and yeah, there were a lot of guys that were there, and after you just lost, you know, to Tiger Woods, you would think maybe they wouldn't be in that moment. But the respect that they had for Tiger really struck me. Yeah, I agree. I was uh, a little bit surprised, kind of like you were. You know, you just lost the Masters, like wouldn't you be? But I think it just speaks to you know how much bigger than golf this moment was. Um, you know, they, these guys all grew up idolizing this guy, and you don't just because you become a PJ Tour player doesn't mean you can just completely shut off the fan part of you, the lover of the game part of you, and the human part of you. That, that story resonated with so many people, I think, who wouldn't consider themselves Tiger fans. Um, but here's something I was thinking about this morning. I don't think it's going to be like that anymore. You know, I think everyone was rooting for Tiger, including his other players, because it was a, a comeback story and he was an underdog. 
I don't think it's going to be like that anymore now that he's you know he's back. I don't, I don't think you'll see players if he wins the U.S. Open um, or, or wins the PGA next month talk about you know how great it is to see Tiger win again. Um, I think this was sort of his, his his true comeback, and everyone wanted to see this moment. But I, I think from now on, it's it's game on. No, I agree with you. I think those guys are too competitive, and you know, I think, like you said, they they respect Tiger. They idolized him growing up, but now. It is game on. I thought it was great. Uh, Michael Phelps, the picture that surfaced of him on 16 behind Tiger Woods, and he had the same intensity. So you're looking at two of the greatest of all time in their respective sports. Uh, Did you see other celebrities that were around Augusta because of Tiger? Uh, I know A-Rod was there. Alex Rodriguez um, was on the ground. I saw Larry Fitzgerald was there. Um, trying to think of other people. Uh, Condoleezza Rice, she's a member at Augusta, so I guess it's a little bit less surprising. Um, but yeah, I wasn't really looking for, for celebrities, to be honest with you, but I think there, there definitely were some on the ground. The CBS ratings, the best in 34 years at the Masters. Uh, did you think, how much did it throw things off that there was the earlier start time? Because I got to be honest with you, as a fan, I liked it. I'm on the West Coast, so I like getting up early and watching British Open. Whoa. And yeah, I, Dude, that was like six six twenty in the morning. Right? Oh yeah, morning, no, know. I was up at you know five thirty, psyched to watch the final round of the Masters, and a lot of my friends, same thing out here on the West Coast, and. I don't know that there's many other athletes that would have gotten me out of bed that early on a Sunday to, you know, watch them perform. And Tiger's one of those rare guys. Yeah, I liked it too because I was finished with work a lot earlier than I expected to, and, and I could watch the Game of Thrones uh, season debut <laughs> on time. So I, I loved it too. When that happened, I was like, "This is the best thing in the world." Um, but it's hard for me to remove myself from, you know, not just a golf writer, and you know, this is my job, obviously, to cover the sport, but as a, a huge golf fan. Like, of course, I'm going to get out no matter what. But I guess there are some people who, you know, they, they, they turn it on out of convenience, and, and they're still in bed on Sunday morning, um, you know, at, at that early hour, especially on the West Coast. But, yeah, you know, I like it, too. And I, and I think it, it also affected, um, the, I think the, the leaders like it, too. You know, I think one of the hardest things about sleeping on the lead in any golf tournament but especially the PGA Tour is how long you have, or especially a major rather, is how long you have to wait in the morning before you tee off. So from, you know, you wake up at 9 o'clock and, or 8 o'clock, whatever it is, and then up until 1, you're just waiting and watching and thinking about the task ahead. So it had a huge effect, you know, on the, uh, on the players and then on TV, right? I mean, the, the ratings were up, but you would know better than me. I think they probably would have been much higher up, much more of an increase if it was later in the day because, um, it was early on the East Coast, 9.20 in the morning for the leaders to off. That's early on the East Coast. For that to be 6.20 um, on the West Coast, that's like English Premier League territory. Yeah, but you know what I thought was really smart by CBS is immediately after the live version is done, they re-air the back nine. And, you know, that got a good rating, they, too. I didn't, I didn't even see that, yeah. Yeah, so, you yeah, know. I didn't, for, I didn't see that. I was working. But that, made, that makes sense. And, yeah, that probably did well as well. They got They got two for one, sort of. And then Augusta National, uh, how do they look after this? You, you've got to think, you know, Tiger, again, the most relevant person in golf, that kind of a moment, it's got to be a big win for them as well. Yeah, I think the Masters is, um, Rory McIlroy said this, I don't know if it was this year or earlier or last year, that it's it's clearly the biggest tournament in the world. Um, it, it stands above the rest of the three majors as um, 
it's something that transcends sports, uh, transcends golf rather, and, you know, and appeals to sports fans of, of every other demographic and location. So I think it's, it just further cements the Masters as the premier golf tournament in the world. And um, it, it's, it's housed so many of Tiger's best moments of his career. 1997, you know, he, he bursts onto the scene and, and shows the world what their next uh, sport icon looks like. Uh, 2001, he completes the career Grand Slam at sort of the height of his powers. He's won four majors in a row. 2005, the chip you know, where the Nike sign hangs on the lip and then finally falls in. And then the comeback, those all happen at Augusta. So Tiger is bigger than golf, and all of Tiger's, not all of them, but most of Tiger's um, most memorable moments happen at Augusta. So him and Augusta are, you know, will forever be linked, just as Jack and Augusta will forever be linked. So, yeah, I mean, they couldn't have asked for much more. You're listening to Sports Business Radio with our guest, Daniel Rappaport, the golf writer for Sports Illustrated. We'll be right back after this. The Sports Business Radio podcast is brought to you by Blinder. Blinder is what savvy PR managers use in the bedroom, or in their car, sometimes on the kitchen table, and especially in the office. Blinder is phone call magic. It lets you connect your media and fans directly to your athletes, coaches, and executives' personal phones without sharing anyone's private information. And you can record or join any call with the click of a button. Remotely control your team's phone interviews, set start and finish times, monitor online or with the Blinder mobile app, and listen to a recording of the call at any time for your complete peace of mind. With Blinder, you're finally in control. The system works globally from any phone line. Scheduling a call takes seconds. Customizable push-button notifications ensure a connection, and no one needs to download anything to make or receive a call. Learn how to start your free trial by visiting blinderhq.com backslash sbradio. Now we're talking. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with our guest, Daniel Rappaport. You know, what's really interesting is I've been to Augusta. I haven't been there for the Masters, but I've been to Augusta. It's not easy to get to, right? you got to either fly into Atlanta and drive, or you go into a very small private airport there in Augusta. And right outside the gates, I would say, you know, a couple miles away, it's not a great area, but on TV, if you just look at Augusta, you're like, this is the most beautiful place in the world. Did you get that sense when you're in Augusta as well? Uh, it's not even a couple miles from the golf course. It's about 10 feet from the golf course. Um, you, know, you, you step onto Washington Road, which is which is the road that runs parallel to the course, and it's like Hooters, Outback Steakhouse, um, Zaxby's, a Waffle House. It's, it's basically a, a road with a bunch of strip malls on it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like literally the, it's the last place you'd expect a world class golf course to be. Um, but then you turn into the club and it all goes away. Um, and, and it's just like, it's, it's, it's a different world. It's, it's paradise. It's, it's like a Zion. It's, you know, golf Disneyland where not a blade of grass is out of place. Everything is so gorgeous and so beautiful. And it's also damn big. I'm not sure people realize that. Like, there's a golf course, but then the media center and, and there's cabins. And like, the, the drive from the media center to the golf course is like a solid four or five minutes on a golf cart. The grounds are massive, and, and the clubhouse may have a bunch of cabins where players stay, so it's, it's really a compound. Um, and when you're on the golf course, you can't see or hear the hustle and bustle of, of the road outside, which is really, you can look it up online at Washington Road. It's not where you would expect the, the most beautiful, maybe, and the most famous golf course in the world to be located. The other thing I heard is that the pro shop there does about a million dollars a day in merchandise sales during the tournament. 
are people just like going crazy for masters wear when they're there? Yeah, I went in on Wednesday because uh, I wanted to get it done before Smart. Uh, you know the tournament started, and it was like a thirty-minute wait just to get in the building. You know, I, I saw someone describe this. Uh, I thought it was a perfect description. Imagine like a Macy's Black Friday sale, but <laughs> everyone's on their best behavior. But everyone's on their best behavior. There's no competitiveness. There's no everyone is helping everybody out. There's no fighting for items. You know, it's like everybody who was who was like being watched, um, knowing that they couldn't push anybody out of the way, but chaos, but controlled chaos because everybody is being so kind to one another. And I think that's where they make a huge percentage of their money, right? The, the food and beverage sales, it's so cheap. It's hard to to overstate how cheap the food is there. It's like $1.50 for sandwiches, $2 beers, you know? Um, so I think they make, obviously they make so much money from TV and advertising, but merchandising too is, uh, the hats are, the stuff is cheap. You know, it's not super expensive like it probably could be you know they could charge more and make more but it's it's not um you know it's like 25 dollars for a hat sort of normal prices but i think they made a huge chunk of their money there did you have a pimento cheese or an egg salad sandwich while you were there i had egg salad i'm actually lactose intolerant so pimento cheese would not do well with my stomach so but i, I tell you what i did have a lot of they have these barbecue they call them barbecue sandwiches but it's basically a pulled pork sandwich lathered in barbecue sauce um, and they have all the all the media set, the food in the media center is free the whole week and they have a sit down restaurant where you can eat but they also have a grab and go section where they have sandwiches and pimento cheese and and egg salads and you know like fruit cups and yogurt and coffee and wine everything you could ask for um so i was like almost subconscious how many pulled pork sandwiches i would eat <laughs> i'd be like grab, i'd like grab i'd like grab another one and like be eating it and then be at my desk being like wow like i don't even remember getting this let alone eating it um, so I'm definitely going to need to get back in the gym. <laughs> yeah. So basically, if you're a media member, you go cover the Masters, you're going to put on 5 to 10 during the week. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's impossible not to. Uh, I don't think I had anything that wasn't like lathered in either barbecue or hot sauce the entire week. Wow, that sounds good. You're making me hungry right now. Yeah, the credentials. Yeah. Uh, I'm reading that the credentials, not media credentials, but the other credentials for the week, those have become collector's items and people are selling yeah, them on eBay that. or, you know, but that's got to be a piece of history that uh, is going to be pretty popular going forward, you would think. Yeah, I don't really get that, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I suppose it's it's proof that you were there and I guess absent pictures because you fans or sorry, patrons, not fans, patrons can take pictures of the golf course on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You can bring like a digital camera as long as it's on a phone. Um, but on tournament days, they're not allowed even that. So I guess it's sort of the only real proof that you were there. Hmm. Um, but I, I never really was, I don't see the real appeal of piece of paper, but you know, teach their own. Was there anything else about the week that surprised you or that, uh, whether it was, you know, with Augusta National or just the tournament itself? Yeah. Um, you know, I think just the, the, how, universal um, the appreciation for Tiger was. Uh, obviously, as a media member, you're not supposed to have like a rooting interest or you know be outwardly um, supporting one, one player versus another, but you know, being in that media center basically the whole week, um, being on the course too, you could just tell that even the media members were, call it what it is, they're rooting for Tiger. I mean, he's great for business, but also the storyline was just incredible. Um, so, you know, you had a whole room groaning when he missed a putt, uh, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, you had... You had players, like you said, who stuck around the whole week to watch him. 
Uh, and Xander Shoffley said it was like the coolest tournament he's ever been a part of, the coolest moment, like out of a dream. And he didn't even win the tournament. So there, there was maybe, you know, a hundred people on the ground, maybe Francesco Molinari's family and Brooks Hepka's family and Shoffley's family who wasn't rooting for Tiger. Everyone else was rooting for him. And, and every time he made a putt, the applause was, was appreciation, yes, but also sort of a plea, like, keep doing this. We're with you. We'll help you through this. And it really felt like he was buoyed by that str- that collective strength and people sending good vibes his way that it felt like the other players were, were yes, they were playing against Tiger, but it also felt like they were playing against 30,000 spectators and, and sort of a wave of, of almost destiny. It felt like it was just preordained to happen. Um, and you got that feeling on Saturday um, when he started creeping up the leaderboard that this was probably only going to end one way, and that's that's what Tiger putting on the green jacket. Well, you guys have an incredible cover story in Sports Illustrated this week. One of the rare covers with no caption, no words, just that picture of Tiger with his arms uplifted after he made the winning putt on 18. And then you guys do pictures better than anyone else. I know John Wartime, he's a good friend, as you well know, and... God, you guys, just the pictures that accompany the story this week are just phenomenal. Yeah, so I did not write that cover story. I want to make that very clear. Michael Rosenberg did, and it's fantastic, and everyone should read it. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we were talking about earlier in the week. I was—I don't remember exactly who, but I was talking to one of my coworkers about, you know, maybe we should – there's a lot of text on the cover sometimes, and, you know, we always it's always cool when there's a picture that does all the talking – for it, you know, there's no words that can accompany that picture that are going to make it any more impactful than it already was. And we said, you know, if Tiger wins this week, there's a good chance that he's on the cover and there's no words. And that's exactly what happened. And the picture, if you guys haven't seen it, it's, it's perfect. It's just perfect. He's, he's arms raised in triumph. He's got his mouth wide open. He's screaming. The putter perfectly dissects the C in Sports Illustrated. The mm. uh, Sports Illustrated text is in blood red, the same color as his mock turtleneck. In the background, you've got all the patrons with their hands up in you know, different pastel colors, and you've got the photographers taking pictures of him. It's the picture of a lifetime. Um, and, and when you have something that good, that really tells the whole story. Words are only going to take away from it. So I think, it's not official, but I think it's only the third time it's ever happened in Sports Illustrated history where there's been a cover without any words. The other one was Miracle on Ice, 1980, when the U.S. Olympic hockey team of amateurs, college guys, beat the Soviets. And then 1995, um, when Mickey Mantle died, there was a just a picture of him on the cover uh, his, with his obituary in in the text, but no picture. So it's I, you know it's saved for really really special moments, and, and Sunday was definitely one of them. Wow! Take us behind how the sausage is made for a minute for our audience, without giving away any trade secrets. When does Sports Illustrated start figuring out like, all right, here's who's going to be on the cover this week, and here's what it's going to look like. You guys have to make that decision every week. Uh, how does that unfold? Um, well, how do I sort of? Not, so sometimes there's no there's no question about it, and there's not even a discussion. Like this week, I right. think was was really clear. If Tiger wins the Masters, he's know, on the cover. cover. There there are certain ideas I think they have every week um, that you know one or two things could be on the cover. Um, whether it's a you know a long a feature that is not really tied to an event. Or if it's an event story, like, you know, the issue after the NBA Finals or the Super Bowl, that something from the Super Bowl is going to be on the cover. Um, so they have these, you know, there's a calendar where you know what certain events are and, and you have an idea of what might be on the cover. But um, there's there's flexibility also, you know, if something happens or someone dies, things have to mobilize quickly. Um, and, and it sort of happens, a lot of it happens right at the buzzer. 
um, you know, just a couple of, you know, days or hours before the, the issue goes to print. Um, there, there's, there's stories being written and, and editors working around the clock and, and writers writing through the night um, in order to make this thing happen because in a magazine story, unlike an online story, which goes up pretty quickly, there are multiple drafts and, and you send them back and then you and your editors have conversations and then it has to be fact-checked, which is another whole process. So um, it's a very, very hectic um, last couple hours and uh, I'm, a, I, I'm in a total awe of the editors and the, the decision-makers who mobilized so quickly um, to put together a cohesive magazine and a cohesive narrative to commemorate such a, a special moment. You know what I think is really cool in this digital world that we live in, the social media world we live in? People still can't wait to see who's on the cover of Sports Illustrated in a given week. Isn't that cool? Yeah, I mean, it's like a stamp of approval, sort of, right? It's like a... Like, what's the story of the week? That Whatever's on the cover, yeah. that is the story of the week. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, like you said, um, everything is online these days. Um, but it, it's sort of like an award every every couple of weeks of, you know, we, we are putting the Sports Illustrated stamp of approval on this person and this story. Um, and if there's one thing to be pay attention to, um, it's this. And we, we have a wall uh, in our office that has every cover on it for I don't know how many years. And you look back on it, and it really just tells the story of sports throughout the years. And, you know, you're, you you look at all the different covers, and it, and it takes you through all the different stages and what was popular at the time and what was being talked about at the time. And if some of them were really accurate, you know, like the I don't know, the Bryce Harper one comes to mind, 16-year-old. And, but then there are other ones that had, like, Jabari Parker on the cover as, like, the next LeBron James, and, and he was not the next LeBron James. So it's, it's really interesting to see all the old covers and what the editors felt like was um, the hot, you know, the hot topic at the time. Daniel Rappaport, golf writer for Sports Illustrated. Follow him on Twitter at Daniel underscore Rappaport. Thank you so much for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. I'll be right back. The 2019 Sports PR Summit presented by the Players Tribune will take place on Tuesday, May 21st at the Players Tribune headquarters in New York City. The Sports PR Summit brings together senior PR and social media executives from across the sports world along with elite athletes and national media members for a full day of on-stage discussions and networking. All attendees leave with ready-to-apply best practices and with a better understanding of how to maximize relationships with the media and the athletes they work with. This year's Sports PR Summit lineup features NBA Commissioner Emeritus David Stern, Sports Illustrated Executive Editor and 60 Minutes Correspondent John Wartime, and an exclusive roundtable discussion featuring elite athletes who work with the Players' Tribune. Past Sports PR Summit speakers have included NBA Commissioner Adam Silver, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman, Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, NASCAR legend Jeff Gordon, NFL greats Michael Vick, Demarcus Ware, and Anquan Bolden, WNBA greats Lisa Leslie and Swin Cash, ESPN reporters Tom Rinaldi and Jeremy Schapp, The Atlantic reporter Jamel Hill, and my friend New York Knicks head coach David Fisdale. The Sports PR Summit has sold out each of its first six years. We only have 125 spots for senior PR and social media executives. Reserve your spot today by visiting sportsprsummit.com. I'll see you at the 2019 Sports PR Summit on May 21st at the Players' Tribune in New York City. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends at Boingo Wireless for powering our Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Follow them online at boingo.com or on Twitter 
at Boingo. Thanks to Hadley Heck. She's a student athlete at Portland State University, and she's our new sports business radio intern. I want to welcome ZipRecruiter to our family of sponsors. Again, really happy to have them on board. My listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash SBR. Happy to have them on board. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast. Go to iTunes, type in Sports Business Radio. We're rated in the top 50 business news podcasts. You can also find our show on Audio Boom via the TuneIn Radio and Stitcher apps, and of course, at sportsbusinessradio.com. Follow me on Twitter in between shows at SB Radio. Follow us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio.